Amen. If you brought your Bibles this morning, I got a message. Kind of a, well, you don't always have a message on Sunday, right? Praise the Lord. Um, this week I've been I've been in prayer and stuff like this. And the Lord's been showing me some things I want to share this morning, and uh, kind of. Uh, well, we'll just, we'll just see see how it goes. I've got a I've got a um, four pages of notes. We could be here the next Tuesday, or I could pick out what God wants to highlight this morning. I think I'll do that. Praise the Lord. But I, I got thinking. Uh, uh, it was our, our last session. Remember, I taught on Gideon, and something in that in that message triggered some other thoughts. Uh, it's not a part two. I'm going to go in a different direction. But the, some of the things about Gideon, uh, Gideon in the Bible is one person I can really relate to. I mean, you know, you just uh, he had to believe for something he could not see, and so on and so forth. It describes my entire life here in the southernmost city of the United States. Praise the Lord, and uh, the assignment that God has given us here. Has a, a lot of times had me, um, you know, wondering and and, and and so on and so forth, going back and forth. But I, I, so the title of my message this morning is God has declared our victory. God has declared our victory. Whether you have or not, God has already declared it. Amen. He knows the end from the beginning. Amen. He's the Alpha and our Omega of our faith. So we, we He knows exactly what's going on. So I want to go. I, I want to tune my life in. I want to put it this way. I want to. I want to listen to what the Lord has to say in His direction for my life because He already sees the end. He already sees His. Of course, the only thing He's going to speak to me about is His will to start with, and this is what I want to know. So this is the, the years and uh, I've in his, been in His service serving Him. This is the th- key, most popular thing. One of the things that I've been really on pressing, and I've been feeling the Spirit of the Lord press me on this teaching, uh, particularly over the last two years, two to almost three years now. Uh, is of seeking the presence of the Lord and practicing His presence. Jesus said it plainly, if you want to go by the New Testament, He said it very plainly. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, He said, I'm there. My presence is in the midst of those that gather. Okay, not the midst of those that stay separate, but the midst of those that gather. And, and so to be in the presence of the people who gather, I think one of the most important things we've got to keep in mind, regardless of what we learn in the Bible, regardless of where, where we are uh, as our faith walk, the most important thing we need to remember is that God is here. And every time we come together as a church or a church family, God is present in this place. That's the most important thing. Uh, for me it is. I mean, I look forward to whenever we get together, we, you know, we get together you know, a few times a week. But I mean, uh, the, the, to come in, I know if I gather in his name that Jesus is in the presence of his gather, I know he's here. And that makes all the difference in the world because now he's no longer abstract. He's no longer this, this, this God often distance that we cannot see. Jesus made it real personal. He says, I'll be there. So we take him at his word and by faith. So I usually say this way, to understand the presence of God. We need to press in to his presence. Lean in, if you, if you, if you will, uh, to, to sense his presence. Race our mind of other things and just focus on the Lord. I put this in my notes. I was getting some things in prayer and I was writing some things down. To live unaware of his presence over us is, a, is to contribute to the warfare that goes on over our hearts and minds as it pertains to the truth of Scripture. We owe it to God to live aware of what he has done and draw from the reality that he's made available. I also added this to it. I said our lives must be lived in response to what the Father is doing, um, our awareness of doing in our awareness of him. We cannot allow our primary awareness to be influenced by darkness. We cannot allow our primary awareness to be influenced by darkness. And this is one of the things I like. When we come together to this church, and this is about Jesus. This, this is it. This is about the Lord. And what it does, it pushes back the powers of darkness, and for our minds are set free from that influence. Even for a short time, I know we battle all week long for, over, over different things, but for this, this time, right now in this session, we can push back the powers of darkness, open up our minds to the truth of what God has given us and receive Him, and that is a person. Uh, I've heard people say this thing. They say, well, Pastor, I, I really don't hear God speak to me. Uh, wait a minute. Let, let me ask, let's, let's quiz this for a minute. Uh, do you ever feel his presence? Well, yes, I can feel his presence. That is how he speaks. We want to restrict the Heavenly Father to an English language that we speak that we understand. But he's, not, he's doing more than just enlightening our understanding, which is mental. Remember the garden? Go back all the way back to the garden. It was two trees. What was the first tree? The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil? 
God speaks to us through the tree of life, which reaches through the heart of man. Not always makes sense in our heads sometimes, but it's not to make sense. We're not seeking him with our knowledge, though we are learning about him. Knowledge is still important. But we're not seeking him with our knowledge. We're seeking him with our spirits. And we have the mind of the spirit. Amen? So that's what we seek and that's what we listen to. I just wanted to share that. Uh, that's not the bulk of my message this morning, but I just want to uh, share that this morning because before God can declare our victory, before, before we can understand the declaration of victory over us, we need to understand how he speaks. Amen. Amen. We need to understand how God impresses upon us so we can take it from there and we can draw closer with our relationship with him. Amen. I'm going to share some things this morning. Praise the Lord. How many know that it's in God's intention? So when I talk about his announced victory, I talk about that, you know, uh, uh, when we talk about he's declared something, there's a difference between, in our life, there's a difference between praying for something and declaring something. You pray a lot of times for direction and to inquire. Declaration is what you know and you confess it out and speak it. See, what you know, all right, the declaration releases our faith into, us, into the realm that we live here now, and our declaration is what brings things to pass. So that's what I'm talking about. God speaks a declaration over us for victory, and he speaks that through his son, Jesus Christ. Because through, through Jesus, we have all victory. Whether you ever experienced what you think you need to experience for victory, I'm going to tell you right now, you are victorious. You have been born again to be victorious. Amen. To be an overcomer, not an undertaker, as I said before. Amen? Praise the Lord. Sorry about all the undertakers. I mean, not not bumping your profession, but praise the Lord. This is where where we're at this morning. Amen? So I looked, and I shared before, I shared about Gideon. I shared about some of the other ones. Gideon, uh, Gideon, David, Elijah, Peter, Andrew. I mean, I could go through through the list of Bible. God seemed to speak something to those people that they weren't aware of or didn't even understand. But he began to speak in terms that maybe they never heard before. So what happens, so what's he speaking? All right, let me go back to Gideon, because that's probably fresh in our minds from our last session. The angel appears to Gideon. Gideon's hiding out in a wine press because he's afraid of the enemy stealing what he's doing. I'm going to go quick. I taught on this last week. But the fact is, he goes, so Gideon doesn't look. In his posture, he does not look like an overcomer. He doesn't look like a valiant warrior. But the angel speaks what he, not what he sees because he's carrying the message of the, of the Lord. He speaks what the Lord sees where Gideon is to be. So basically Gideon's here in the wine press in fear, freshing out weeds, trying to hack out a living, and God sees him over here as a mighty man of valor that's free in a nation. He's trying to get enough bread to feed his family, and God says, I want to anoint you so you can get enough bread to feed a nation by, by eliminating the enemy. So what does God got to do? He's going to say not where, he, you're, you're, where you're at, but he's going to speak where he wants you to be in our life. Amen? And so, so it, okay, uh, how about David? God speaks to, to Samuel, the prophet, Saul was blowing it as king. I mean, he just blew it to pieces. I mean, he just—he was—he started out as a humble man, but then all of a sudden, it just, it, he just ran rampant. It was going bad. God spoke to Samuel and said, I want you to find me a man after my own heart. In other words, a man that will look towards me. I'm replacing Sam, uh, uh, Saul because he's not doing... Uh, so Samuel takes his body, all you know the story, goes to the house of Jesse where the Spirit of the Lord leads him, goes to all of Jesse's sons. And it's amazing. They never called David to the party. He's out in the back. And so Samuel says, none of these. You got, you got any more sons? I, I know what I heard from the Lord. Yeah, we got one out in the back, but, you know, you know he's a handful, whatever. And so, so they go ahead. He says, some of them. He says, that's the man. And he opened up his horn and poured oil upon him. He says, you're going to be the next king. So now did David go and start to act kingly? Did he buy a new set of clothes, uh, uh, drive a different car? You know, because he's going to be king. He must yes, look like a king and talk like a king. No. David went back out to take care of the sheep. But yet, David was the man that God said, this man here is after my own heart. At the time, the only thing David was after was his sheep. I can just imagine him sitting there probably antsy. He said, well, I'm here. The sheep are probably scaring all the places. It's going to cost me all the afternoon work. I'm going to have to go back out there. Okay, can we get this done, wrap this up? 
I don't know if that happened, but I said, you know, this is how some of the times we think. God, can you quickly uh, get through this thing? I've got other things to do. I mean, you know how responsibilities, you've got a job, got this, you know, and, and we want to hurry through sometimes. But the words that God spoke to David was not the word that he saw in David. It was the word that he said is where, where David was going to be. So we need to understand about, about how the Lord speaks. So when he sees us, he doesn't look at us and he doesn't see losers. You know, he doesn't see malcontents, discontents. What he sees, he sees royalty. He sees kings, he sees princes and, and princesses. And, and this is what he sees in us. He sees it in so what happens is this is what he speaks, what he sees, not where they're at. Okay, let me give you Jesus' example. Peter and Andrew are out there fishing. They're cleaning their nets. They're pulling. The, you know the story by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walks up to me. It's, this is, amazes me every time I read this stuff. How many th- times Jesus says, come follow me, and they just drop everything and go? I mean, but, seriously, come, but Jesus says this. He looks up at Peter and Andrew. They're fishermen basically uneducated, I guess, or, or, or not as educated as most because they're hardworking, they're working families, education costs money, so they're probably just out there, and they're doing whatever they do, the daily labors. And Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So what is he doing? He's speaking not what they are, but what they're about to be, if, there's a big if right there, if they follow Jesus, this is what you'll become. Does anybody know what a fisher of men is? I mean, do we, do we have a rod reel? Do we have a net? How do we, do we, do we cast it over people and just pull people in? Uh, I think that's kidnapping. I don't think that's legal. <laughs> but he was saying, just the same way you apply yourself to the labors of this, he says, I'm going to change your life to where you can apply your labors to, to, to benefit the kingdom of God by being fishers of men, taking the message to the men and bringing, bringing the men into the kingdom. So he says, I'm going to make you monumental in that, in doing that. So what did he do? He didn't speak again. He didn't speak what he saw. He spoke the victory over their life of what they can be. Now, here's the thing. To get in on that, they had to actually step out and become that. They had to trust the Lord. Did they ever know what fishers are meant? None of these guys. Does David know what a king is supposed to look like, what he's supposed to dress like? No. They never had one before before, uh, Saul. They knew Saul wasn't doing it right. So we really didn't have an example. So it were, it's kind of like God wiped the slate clean. And he says, okay, now I'm going to build in you what I want. So I, I'm, I, it's remarkable how pliable these guys are. Now, that's just, that's just uh, Peter Andrew. He goes up to Matthew, the tax collector, which is also called Levi in the scriptures. He has two names. The same, it's the same tax collector. He's making lots of money. They're making, he's making, say, in our time, millions of dollars. And Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. Doesn't promise them anything. He says, follow me. Okay, we just drop it. We'll just follow you. There's something in the voice of our Lord that when he says, follow me, we just know it's going to be better than where we're at right now. Okay, wherever that is. Even if we're doing good, God is going to, what he has for us is better than what we can imagine, look, or think. So they, they, they just yielded. And it's amazing to me how they yielded even before they even knew what they were talking about. I studied this a couple of different times, and I've, I've, I didn't even did a sermon. So I want to—I'm not repeating, but I want to give you some new information, new revelation on this. How many remember First Samuel? You want to turn your Bible? You can follow along in the story if you want to. But in First Samuel chapter 30, and this is—let me—let me give you—let me give a run, quick background to the scripture. Simply, basically, David uh, really uh, uh, was doing so well as God was raising him to be the future king of Israel really ticked off Saul. And so much he threw a spear at him one time and it just, he just had a jealousy problem. He even killed some priests to get to David because he thought they were hiding the information where David was. And he spent the rest of his, his um, kingship hunting out David and, search, and trying to kill him. But every time he'd go, he said the Lord would warn him about something and David would always be out of his reach, would never be able to uh, reach him. So David... Well, it got so bad that David finally had to leave the country. He had to leave Israel, and he go, went over to what we call Gaza, in that area, where the Philistines owned. 
And he, and he went to the Philistine king and told him this happened. And of course, the Philistine king is no friend of, of Saul's anyway. He said, okay, we'll help you out, David. He says, uh, uh, we'll give you a city called Ziglag. He said, it'll be a place for your men, and so you can, you can camp there. So what David did, he actually brought his men to Ziglag. This is in the Philistine uh, territory. And he began to war against the enemies of Israel. Well, he's living in the camp of the enemy. And he's warring against the enemy. So when the king gets the idea to go to war against Israel, the general is saying, uh-uh, don't bring David. We can't trust him. And they were right. David will turn on will be coming. As long as they left David alone, David took care of all the other enemies, like the Amalekites. All the enemies that Saul didn't whip or take care of that God told them to, David did. David went after them. So what happens is the Amalekites were the key ones. These, these guys were nomadic. In other words, they didn't produce anything on themselves. All they were was thieves and robbers. And they looted and they raped and they pillaged uh, with their great army across the land. They, they, like locusts, they just devoured everything else everybody else was producing. They had been an enemy of Israel. Well, here's the thing. That enemy should have never been there to start with at Ziglag. Why? Because God specifically passed judgment on that tribe and told Saul to wipe them out. Now, don't let one of them live. Well, what Saul did, he had a better idea than what he thought God had. So what he, what he did conquer, the Amalekites, he grabbed a hold of the king. And where the king was supposed to be killed, he kept the king alive. And he was more interested in the goods and taking the goods for himself. Oh, we'll make sacrifices to the Lord, is what he said. Uh, we got all the... And, and, and Samuel, Samuel, the prophet, comes up and he's just cooking. He's just fuming. What have you done? You did not follow the word of the Lord. And that was enough to let the Amalekites escape. And here we come to David's place now. So an enemy that should never existed now is wiped out his village and his city, taking his wives and the children of his men and, and, of his men, and they, they, they took everything they own. David is, we pick this story up in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, now David is greatly distressed. I guess I would be too. For the people spoke of stoning him. In other words, the guys with you, it's your fault. You got us in this trouble. They're looking for a scapegoat. We'll, you, um, we'll stone you. This is, this is ludicrous. How could we be at this point at such a failure? Serving God, huh? You're supposed to be the godly king, and this is what's happened to him. I can just imagine the conversations that went around. And, and so David is under distress. He doesn't have any friends. All his 400 men that travel with him well, now want to turn on him and kill him. David was greatly in distress for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieving. They were all grieving for their, for their loved ones, every man for his sons and his daughters. But listen to this statement at the end of this verse. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You all know this. I mean, you got this down. I want, I want to put it in, in, a, in a sequence of events of how it happened. We see what happens. He looks over Ziglag. The city is burning. The city is wiped out. His children are gone. Their children or wives have been taken captive, and they don't know where to be found, the Amalekites. David is in great distress. His men turn on him, turn against him, and he's in great distress. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. I'm reading out of the New King James. Strengthened himself in the Lord. The Old King James says, um, it says uh, encouraged himself, but strengthened himself in the Lord. I like the word strengthen. I think it's a better translation. And it, but then what happens next? What happens next is David strengthened himself in the Lord. Then, in the very next verse, he asks for the ephod. What does that mean? Basically, the ephod is a priestly garment that was worn by the priest. So here's the picture. David strengthened himself first. He come from an area of strength. Then he asked for the ephod. The ephod was a particular garment so he could go talk to the Lord. Do you get the sequence here? David strengthened himself before he went to the Lord. We wouldn't. We'd be crying out to the Lord, oh God, well, how'd you let this happen? I mean, we'd be crying and blaming and cast. I mean, we'd be, we'd, we'd be a mess. But David didn't go into the presence of God that way. He went in the presence of God where? Out of strength. He had to strengthen himself. How did he strengthen himself? My guess is this. The Bible doesn't say, but my guess is this. He was reminded the word of the Lord over him by the prophet. 
saying, you are going to be a great king, uh, your descendants, and all, all the things that he'd been speaking. He's saying uh, from there, a king would not sit there, whine and cry to the Lord. A king would come in strength and inquire from the Lord. I'm going to come from the position that God made me, not what I feel like. I'm going to come with a position where God has spoken over me, whether I see it or not, whether I feel like it or not. I might not feel like a king, and I might not look like a king right now. I got my whole, all my warriors and subjects are all want to kill me. Okay, but I'm not going to come from that area and complain to the Lord. I'm coming from an area of strength because God has said, and he has spoken over me through his prophets. And I'm going to come from that position. When he strengthened himself, okay, now bring the ephod, I'm ready. And when they brought the ephod, he sat down. This is what he said to the Lord. He said in in, in verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this troop? That's not a man of weakness. That's not a man that just lost his family. That's not a man all his friends want to turn against him. Shall I pursue this? I'm thinking to myself, who's he going to pursue with? These guys, are they really going to follow him? They're ready to kill him. He says, shall I pursue this troop? And David inquired of the Lord. He says, shall I overtake? Two things he asked the Lord. He says, number one, shall I pursue? And number two, shall I overtake? He never asked him what he's going to do after he catches him. Especially if you don't have any men to follow him. It didn't matter. Because he's not coming from a position of physical strength. He's not coming from a position of popularity. He's not coming from a position where everybody's for him. He's coming from a position of what God has said through his prophet and his word over him. And that's the area I'm coming from. Lord, you said in your word, I'm to be king. Now, he didn't say that, but this is what he's thinking. Now, what, a, what would a king do when an invading force invades his family or invades his kingdom? A king would stand up and go to the Lord and say, shall I pursue and shall I overtake? And the Lord answers them back this way. Doesn't the Lord see his circumstances? It doesn't matter. The Lord said this, and he, shall, and he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them without fail. And God has one other thing, Recover all. In other words, get it back. I often think about this time when, 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 when Jesus said to us in John 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came to give you life and life more abundant. Then go after it. But don't go after it as a mealy-mouthed, weak need, a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you know, kind of, well, I don't know, if it be God's will, get God's will straightened out in your heart. He writes it in his word, read it. Praise the Lord. Don't give them back some kind of religious phrase that you learned in, in, in Sunday school someplace. Give them back the word that has been sown in your heart. Stand up with the strength. Strengthen yourself in the Lord and say, Lord, shall I pursue this? Shall I do this? Shall I do that? And let the Lord come back with, 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 the, with the word, a true word, not based from your fears, not based from your hopelessness or your hopeless state, but out of the hope and out of the faith that God has placed in your heart. Speak to the Lord out of that and see how your life turns around and changes. Because this was monumental. David said, we're going to pursue. God says, we're going to pursue. We're going to overtake and we're going to recover all. Half his troops didn't even go on. They got halfway out there. Oh, we can't go. We're out of strength. Okay, David took the rest of them. There was one key to this story because David submitted himself. The Amalekites cast aside a servant that was holding him back, and he was laying out there dying in the wilderness. And David stopped and fed him and gave him something to drink. He said, if you promise not to kill me, I'll tell you where the camp is. I'll tell you where the enemy's at. David says, leave him alone. Where are they at? And that was a little bit of information, because now, knowing where the enemy at, he could set himself up for a surprise attack. Remember Gideon? He thought God was crazy by cutting his 32,000 troops down to 300. Do you know what that 300 troops did with the power of God behind them? They wiped out an enemy that was 120,000. Read it in the book of Judges. It's great, it's great read. This is, what I, this is what I like about Gideon. We think, well, Gideon heard the word of the Lord. He was encouraged and never be afraid again. He, boy, the fear just bolts off him, and he just bolted out. That wasn't the case at all. Matter of fact, God had to reassure him and reassure him. Remember the first bunch? He had 32,000 and he blew the shofar. 32,000 troops came. We're behind you, uh, Gideon. God says, now there's too many. 
Too many given to my, the hands of the enemy. He says, tell all those that are fearful. Well, Gideon was one of them. <laughs> it's a surprise Gideon didn't leave. I guess that was his exit if he wanted out. Anyone who's afraid, send him back home. 20,000 leave. Then he says, okay. He says, still too many. He says, but go to the brook. He says, watch your men how they drink. If they bend down and they pick up the water from their hands as they're still looking for the enemy, that's the ones you keep. The other ones lay face down, don't care, just lapping up, taking care of their own needs more than, the, than their assignment. When we take care of our own needs more than the assignment that God has given us, as a clue, he says, send them home. He said, they'll, they'll, they won't make the battle. And when Gideon looked over, he had 300 men left. When he got to the hillside and he got to the camp of the enemy, he's looking down, he can see the enemy, it's dark. And God says, you still afraid? He says, if you're still afraid, he said, I want you to go down to the camp of the enemy and listen. Evidently, he was still afraid because he went down to the camp. And all of a sudden, he heard him talking. One guy had a dream, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sword of the Lord, and Gideon, Gideon's going to come, and Gideon's coming with wrath, and we're, we're all going to... And the, 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 he, what he found out was the enemy was more afraid of him than he was of the enemy. So he went back, and he split up his men, each with a hundred with the torches, you know, the whole thing, and they blew the trumpet, and they come up close, and now they expose themselves with the light. He said the enemy got so confused that he turned sword on one another in the darkness. And when it was over, Gideon and his 300 men stood, harm, no harm came to them, and when they stood there, and 120,000 of the enemy lay dead. 120,000 by 300 men. And nobody, none of the Israelites lost their lives. Why? Because they listened to what God had to say. God had already announced the victory before Gideon got there. God had already announced the victory for David before he ever came across the Amalekites, which shouldn't have been there anyway. They should have been, that was Saul's problem, but he didn't take care of it the way God said. He didn't listen to the Lord. He had his idea. We have to be careful in this day and hour we live in, the ideas that we have about church, the ideas we have about what God wants us to do, all these other things. You don't have to have ideas I mean, we have minds, we can all think of ideas, but what we need to do is hear from the Lord and what He wants done in the hour, in the season that we're in. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Praise the Lord. Amen. Understand something about God. Amen. An encounter with Him, with God, will bring bring a life-changing direction almost every time as we inquire from the Lord. The problem is, I guess we ought to have to ask ourselves, do we really want change? I've been pastoring now, I guess, what, 30 some odd years, I forget, I'm, I'm too old to remember. <laughs> it seems like I always did this, but it wasn't true. But the fact is, 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 is you know, when God said, are we listening to what God says that he wants us to do, and are we doing that? Or are we trying to filter out the things we like to hear from God and putting them into our lives where we think they, 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 they need place? Because if we're doing that, we're not getting the word of the Lord from what we're doing. We're filtering out through our ambitions and our own, own thoughts and wants. Amen? There's, there's uh, three groups of people that I, I, I like to talk about every once in a while. And I, mean, you know, I remember when the Israelites came out of the wilderness. Came out of the wilderness. You remember that? And what happens? They came into the wilderness. Where did they come? They came from Egypt, and God let them out. They were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. Now they come out and say, and God wants to lead them. He leads them into the wilderness. Well, the wilderness stood between Egypt to where they wanted to come out of and the promised land that God promised to Abraham. They were to take the promised land, but the, between those two places was called the wilderness. Do you know in the wilderness it was different? In the wilderness, everything was supplied by God and to sustain life, everything. Even their clothes, the Bible says their clothes uh, didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out, okay, as they're marching out into the wilderness. Do you notice that God would bring them around certain enemy, like the Philistines, but he engaged other enemies with Joshua and his, his troops? What was he doing? He was bringing them out, and he was growing them through the wilderness, number one, to trust him for leadership and trust him for provisions. He was also teaching them in the wilderness that, that um, listen, not every enemy that comes against you is yours. Some enemies belong to the Lord. Some enemies belong to you. The wisdom is knowing which one's, uh, what's the difference. 
and this was the lessons that were going forth in the wilderness. But the thing is, what happened was some of the wilderness mentality, when they sent the 10 spies out, or sent the 12 spies out, 10 came back with a bad report. What was about that bad report? I remember the story. They came back with a bad report. Only Joshua and Caleb had a good report about the, prom about the promised land. They spied it out for quite a while, over a month. They were out there spying around. And they came back more afraid than when they went in. Why? Amen? Because what happens is the enemy that they faced looked bigger than their God. When the enemy that we face looks bigger than our God, fear will take over every time. I'm going to say it again. When the enemy that we face looks bigger than the God we serve, then the enemy wins. And we will say in fear every time, God has to be bigger. Joshua and Caleb tried to say they saw the same giants. They said, no, 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 we, we, just, we, we can take this. God's with us. We'll take it. It doesn't matter. Of course, it took another generation to die off. So what happens? In the promised land, everything was given to them. Matter was given. Food was given. Clothes were taken care of. Everything was given to them. And that's where some Christians are today. Well, I'll just pray, God, God's, give me this, and God, give me that, and I need this, and I need this. And we go with a list of needs. But do we ever hear what he says about being a valiant warrior, about being a person who, who, who is, well, he call, uh, calls the followers of Christ, are called, book of Revelation, as kings and priests. He's made us kings and priests. Amen. Amen. Just like David. Well, actually, David had three uh, different offices he held. He held the office of a king, office of a priest. He was, it was strange. And then the office of a prophet. David prophesied. He had three different offices. Amen. So kind of like we had today. So, but anyway, now, when they finally died off 40 years later, Joshua and Caleb finally got their dream. They went into the promised land with the next generation that came out. Matter of fact, they were so new, they had to get all circumcised again, cross the River Jordan again to go into the promised land. Do you know what happened when they got over to the other side? This is interesting. When we got stepped over on the other side, of course, you know, the, the Jordan split. We have that picture. A, a leader from each tribe, that makes 12 of them, stood there in the, in the dry riverbank as, as the water was split. Each one of them, before the river closed back up again, before the Jordan closed back up again, had to pick up a stone and carry it to the promised land. So they're on this side, uh, which is, uh, is still the wilderness, and this side was the promised land, which we know today is Israel. And they go across, and as, as, as the last people go across, the leaders of the tribes pick up a stone, and they bring it over to the other side. And when they drop the stone down, and they all got to the other side, the Jordan closed back up again. From that stone, they built an altar. And Joshua said, from this point on, may every future generation never forget what's happened here this day. Remember that? What happened? As soon as Joshua died, they all forgot. <laughs> they started serving other gods again. But, but another thing happened. The Ark of the Covenant went across. Remember the manna that used to fall down? Stopped. There was no more manna. In the promised land, there was no more manna. Why? God's idea of advancement is to co-labor, not to provide for. So what happens, now they get across to the promised land. Now they're, we've got to till the ground. Well, we till the ground. Now God will happen. He said, when you plant a seed, I'll bring your abundance of harvest. And that's how we'll work in partnership. Well, is that anything unusual? No, not at all. Matter of fact, remember how God created the heavens and the earth? And he created everything in the earth? And he told Adam, he says, okay, Adam, the only creation on the planet that wasn't spoken in was Adam and Eve. God did not speak in the He spoke the stars of the sky. He spoke the Lord. He spoke to the trees. The animals all spoke. He spoke, and it, came, and it came to pass. But with Adam and Eve, he took the dust from the ground, and he made Adam. And from his side, now the, we, we all know it's from the rib. It's not in the Hebrew, the real Hebrew. It's the entire side of, of, of Adam, and he creation fashions Eve. Then he says to him, he says, you have dominion. God gave them dominion over the earth. In other words, I'll be the God of heaven, but you have dominion here. They took that dominion and gave it to Satan. Remember, Eve, and they took, touched the tree that they weren't supposed to touch was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And basically, so then on the outside of God's creation looking in. So God had a plan. He had a plan of salvation, so on and so forth, the end of the whole story. So they were supposed to take dominion with God co-laboring with them.
not providing for them, but co-laboring with them. Of course, when he does co-labor with us, we all do make out better, don't we? So, he, so this is the promised land, just like back in the garden when he came across. You till the ground, and I'll make things grow for you like you've never seen before. You do this, and I'll, and I'll, I'll be your God, and also make sure that you will not be uh, suffered in drought. When they suffered drought is when they started uh, serving other gods. And then all of a sudden they saw droughts, and they saw problems. Remember, it, it happened to Gideon's time. God told them, even told uh, before Gideon, he says, do not fear the God of the, Amalekite, or the, uh, uh, of, of the Amalekites or the Moabites. He says, don't fear their gods. Why? Because what you fear is what you worship. But they didn't. They worshiped them anyway. Remember, they wanted to kill uh, Gideon for tearing down the altars of Baal in his own town. And his father spoke up for him. He said, well, let Baal kill himself if he's so powerful. If not, then let's serve the one true God. They were Israelis, but they were so caught up and afraid of what the enemy might do. They were so afraid of the enemy, more afraid than they were of God, until Gideon set them free. Help anybody this morning? So what do we have? Wilderness, where everything is supplied by God, sustains life. This is the place of where complaints abounded. <laughs> Why? Because no matter what God did, it wasn't right. They didn't feel it was right. Manna, manna, manna. We're sick of eating the manna. Give, give us some meat. Give us some meat. Remember, they complained about that. They complained about everything. But the promised land is where we have to till the ground for God supplies the increase. This is where the advancement begins. This is the place where great victories happened because the very first thing Joshua had to do, he had to take out the city of Jericho. Here's the, here was the deal. It was given, the land was given, Canaan was given to Abraham. Abraham's descendants fled the land. Other occupants went back into the land, knowing that it was there. So any tribe that was in the Canaan land now, when Joshua came in, they had a choice. See, this is God's land that we gave us. Now, if you do not co uh, commit war against us, live in peace. Live right here, just like you see Israel today. You, you go to Israel, you don't see all the Israelis. You see Israelis and Arabs and mixed together. Well, that's how it's always been for thousands of years. But the fact is, is but now if you decide to make war against us, we will fight back and we will win. So Joshua fought all the, uh, all the armies, okay, except, uh, uh, I mean, all the armies except the ones that want to make peace with them. Some of them make covenant with them. Uh, they're Arabs, just like they're nomadic tribes, and, and no problem. We'll live in peace. You can live here too with us. Just don't try to kill us. When they started to kill, guess what? They went to war and, and usually Israel won. Amen? cleared out all the, all of them, all of the Canaanite tribes except for one was the Jebusites. The Jebusites were in a city called, what we call today Jerusalem. Okay, named it the Jebusites. Remember when David killed Goliath and he took the head? And it said he took the armor and put it in his tent. Well, David didn't have a tent. The tent that he referred to was a tabernacle. He gave it to the priest, the tabernacle. He took the head of the giant and he took it to Jerusalem. That's a strange place because Jerusalem wasn't the capital then. <laughs> Jerusalem wasn't the capital, not until David became king. David's still a young boy, he's, you know, still a, a like a teenager. He's holding up the set head at the Jebusites. And what he was saying, he said, this is things to come. You're next. They laughed at him because basically nobody, even the mighty Joshua, couldn't conquer the city. So they're laughing and mocking him. And when he came back, he found a water flow. They're there today in, in Jerusalem. I, Diane and I took a tour one time with her. It was really cool. But it went up through the water and invaded the city and took over the city. And it became the city of David, or it became Jerusalem, which became the center, uh, capital city of all of Israel, had been since the time of David. Regardless of what politics says today, it's still the capital as far as God is concerned. As a matter of fact, God calls it this. He says, calls it the apple of his eye. Hmm, <laughs> interesting, huh? But praise the Lord. Amen? Both the wilderness and the promised land both needed a presence, God's presence for increase. Both needed God. So regardless if we're of wilderness mentality, we need God's presence for supply. Or if you're a promised land, we need God's presence also to, to, for, for increase and, and, for, and for prosperity. So God was never cut out of the picture, just like he wasn't cut out of the picture with Adam. Go back to Adam. What did God do before Adam, before the fall? He'd come down, he walked and talked with Adam, and they talked things over, how they're going to do this, how they're going to do the earth, and, and that was it. They had, this, they had this agreement, they had this fellowship. 
I don't know why. God doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need our talents. He doesn't need anything about us. I mean, even John says, he, says, he said to the religious people, he says, you, you call yourselves sons of Abraham. Fine. He said, if God needs sons of Abraham, he doesn't need you. God's, he'll make them out of these rocks. God doesn't need us for anything, but yet he desires, it's, 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 it's an anomaly, but he desires to work with us and work through us. So we co-labor with him. So when we go to God and we have a prayer need or, or, or some other need, God supplies our needs according to the Bible, according to Christ, uh, riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So what Jesus already paid the price for, we stand up and we declare that and we claim that. Then in the midst of that, God will also give us the wisdom of how to bring that about, just like the promised land. But he's not going to float it down from heaven. He's not going to write it in the sky. He's going to put it on your heart. Because as free will people, we have the right to serve him or not, or reject him. Amen? Does that make sense to anybody? So when I say about the God already claiming a victory, he's not looking at what you are right now. He's looking at what you can be. He's looking at your future. He's not looking at all your problems and all your hang-ups and your sins or whatever he's looking at. No, no, no. He sent Jesus, and Jesus took care of that. Claim him. And sins are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, which never meet, by the way. North and south, well, they can switch on, but east and west don't. Hmm. Praise the Lord. So it isn't what the devil's saying. It's not what people are saying about you. It's not the problem you have here or the problem you have there or the generational problem that's come down through the generation because we have authority over generational curses too, by the way. And we're all thankful for that, aren't we? If you got family... <laughs> Aren't you thankful? <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I feel better. <laughs> amen. Praise the Lord. This is what God has done. He's given us these things, and this is what He's spoken over us. The problem is, we have to watch is we don't go back to a wilderness mentality. Amen. amen? Religion is good. I, was, I served religion for many, many years. And they're good at giving you, putting you in a wilderness mentality. Well, you know, sometimes God doesn't, sometimes he doesn't. That's a wilderness mentality. Sometimes we get manna, sometimes we get quail. Yeah, well, he gave them so much quail, they vomited it up, so you know, that, was a good, that wasn't a good experience either. Where Religion is where God is the center of everything, but he's in power of nothing. He's the center of everything, but he has no say of anything. He's just a figurehead. From that to the promise, when we walk in the promised land now, we are co-laboring with Christ. Amen? And, it's for, and it scratched my head, I scratched my head for, for 32 years, but God sees something in our city that I was still trying to nail down, but there's something about this city, and I've been here for 32 years. And this is where he's called, this is where for me he's called home. And I'm even going over some of the prophecies and stuff that I've gotten over my, my lifespan. That's another story. But, uh, and, and seeing what God has seen. But he sees something here. As long as he does, I see something here. As long as he does, I'll serve him here. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. When I die, there's probably going to be two parties. Two parties. I mean, celebrations. You know, celebrations. Two celebrations. One is going to be the angels herald me into heaven, and the other is going to be the devil because he's going to be glad I'm out of here. <laughs> Just as long as you don't have two funerals. <laughs> well, heaven's sad because you didn't make it. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right. Praise the Lord. Both needed God to increase for the increase to happening. One is where temptation of slavery seemed to be comfortable. In other words, you bring us out here, Moses, to die? Let us go back. We had it better with Pharaoh. Huh? Is it better in the world than it is serving God? Or you got your, you got your uh, thoughts wrong. Amen? That's wilderness mentality. Amen? Praise the Lord. The other is where freedom happens, where now we're free. Truly free. No more slavery, because the Bible says that you're, you're a slave to your sins. Period. 
That's what it says. So slave, sin, sinful man is slavery. You have no choice. Amen? Or we get to serve the Lord this morning. Praise the Lord. We serve him where he's at. Amen? I like this story. I, I, I did this teaching a couple weeks ago, but I talked about Psalms 23, where it says in that one part of the psalm, how many know Psalms 23? Even we recite it. Uh, you know, but that one part where he says, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy that's still echoing in my brain. Well, maybe there's something it's hollow, I don't know, but, it, it, but it, about the table. In studying covenant, I know about tables and what their what they're symbol. The symbolization of the tables where family gets together. God says, here, I prepare a table, you're my family. And I, but the interesting thing with David writes in that psalm is I prepare that table in the presence of my enemy, of your enemies. I can't help but think, though, we, we're at the table with God. The enemy's watching. Can't do nothing. He has no power to come and interrupt the, interrupt the meal. But is it possible that some of us are feeding them breadcrumbs underneath the table? Amen? Maybe not realizing it. But that's not for the enemy. I'll prepare the table before you in the presence of your enemies. Amen? A couple weeks ago, I taught on hope. You know, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Amen? How many know what Hebrews chapter 11 is? I, got, I picked it out of the Amplified Bible. So now faith is assurance. That means deed, title, confirmation of things hoped for, for divinely guaranteed, and evidence of things not seeing the conviction of the reality. Faith comprehends, listen to this in the Amplified, I love this. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by physical senses. Faith comprehends by fact what cannot be experienced by, but the whole thing talks about hope. Evans of things hope for. Hope positions me for surrender. What hopelessness does, hopelessness removes my awareness of the beauty of sacrifice. I'm going to say that again. Amen? Amen if you're still awake. All right, praise the Lord. Hope positions us for surrender. Hopelessness, what it does is remove my awareness of beauty of sacrifice. Amen? Hope always leads to greater faith. People will hope with hope, attract opportunities. Hope is actually the product of God's presence. Hopelessness only reveals the distance between my face and his. Hopelessness only reveals the distance between my face and his. So what is hope? What is a good definition of hope? It's a joyful expectation. That's the best way I can explain it. A joyful expectation is hope. Amen? Praise the Lord. How many got something out of the Word this morning? Man, a little bit different approach, but praise the Lord. Let's stand our feet. Thank you, Jesus. I have a lot more, but I'm going to stop. We'll be here next Tuesday. Praise the Lord. We don't need to be here next Tuesday. Amen. Let's chew on what we got this morning. Praise the Lord. I threw out a couple of slabs of meat for you. Amen. But uh, God doesn't choose. I want to repeat that twice again. God doesn't choose people by their talents. He doesn't need any of our skills, as John points out in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. That was the scripture. He says, God can make sons of Abraham out of these rocks. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. So we give God the praise this morning. I want to say we're coming into a season. I don't know if that's the right word for it, a season, but I feel the Spirit of the Lord saying that we're coming into a season to where he's going to be able to magnify a lot of things of our victories that we don't see right now. Those that are going through problems, situations, and different things, whatever happens, circumstances, maybe some of you have lost heart over the years. Maybe I'm speaking to people in here, maybe I'm speaking to people on the live stream. But you've lost hope over the years. You used to be. How many know Southern saying that I used to could, if I give me another chance, I'll used to could again. You know, you used to be, used to be, used to be. I hear a lot of that in the body of Christ sometimes more than I want to hear. I used to do this, or I used to be that. I used to go to church all the time. I used to believe in Christ. I used to be in all bad things. Opportunity starts today. Amen. The realization that what I used to be, I'm going to be again on better. Amen. Because without Christ, there is no hope. And you're in a hopeless state. Amen? But with Christ, all things are possible. See them and believe. 
Amen? So I want to give you the opportunity this morning. Let's go ahead and grab a hold of Christ. Amen? Come back to church if you're, if you're in the area. If you're not in the area, go to church someplace because that's where God has prepared the table. Amen? And I was always taught as a kid, it's bad manners to be invited to supper and to say, I don't like that, and I don't like this, and I don't like that. Eat it and shut up. <laughs> right? <laughs> because it's amazing. What I used to not like when I was a kid, man, I can't get enough of it today. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, I'm just, I'm just priming you for lunch. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. I pray this morning. I pray, Lord, for all those that listen to this message this morning. Let us, I want to say this over Covenant Word Church right now. May we come from an area of strength and inquire of the Lord. How many can come? How many know enough of the Bible they can come from an area of strength? Amen. Let's come from an area of strength like David did. Amen. Shall we pursue this course as you have us, Lord? Shall we overtake this course you have for us, Lord? And shall we recover everything that you meant, intended us to have? Yes, yes, and yes. You will recover all. Amen. So what the devil has stolen from you to steal, kill, and destroy, God will bring back in abundance, Jesus said. Abundance. I love that scripture, John 10, 10, one of my favorites, because Jesus promised abundant life. Not to hand out mealy mouth, weak need, uh, spineless stuff that we've been pre uh, presented to by religion, but the truth. Jesus said, I came to give you life more abundant. He walked it out, everything he did. Never ask a guy his, his denominational uh, uh, affiliation before he healed him. Never ask him where they were in the Lord before he laid hands on him and did a miracle for him. Hmm, didn't seem to be in the... Uh, ten lepers cry out to him. And Jesus said, be healed, go cleanse yourself. One guy came back and thanked him. Would be an indication only one out of ten gets healed? No, because he asked him, he said, they all, he said, no, all ten got healed. But only one came back to thank the Lord. Hmm, praise the Lord. Well, that's another message. I got, I got to stop. I'll be here the next Tuesday, I say. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. How many got something out of the Word this morning? Amen.